Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast, featuring compelling interviews with big-hearted people in the Oklahoma City metro area who are leading, creating, and innovating on purpose. Get inspired by conversations with passionate difference makers from our local community. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. On today's episode, we sit down with Ernest O'Dunsey, an inspiring relationship builder and passionate advocate for social justice reform and reconciliation efforts in Northeast Oklahoma City and beyond. And now, the Live Your Purpose podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Live Your Purpose podcast. I'm sitting down today here with Ernest O'Dunsey. He was born and raised in Oklahoma City and has been known to say one day his bones will be covered in red clay. He received his BA from the University of Central Oklahoma and plans to pursue a master's in divinity soon. After poor life choices led to a felony, Ernest was mentored and began serving in a small local church plant where he met his now wife and best friend Monique. Married in 2011, the Odunzis have two sons and a daughter on the way. They have dedicated their lives to fostering community and raising leaders in Northeast Oklahoma City where they live, work, and play. Ernest, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here. Glad yeah. to be here. And yeah, that, that red clay comment is very, right. very serious. I, I love this city, love this state, and one day I hope to be buried here because I love it so much. Yeah, yeah. Well, we move in similar circles, but we've yeah. never met face-to-face until now. Yeah. So it's really my pleasure to sit down with you. And, and before we went on air, I should say we're on site at Restore OKC, and you're going to tell us all about that. And this is quite an operation. Yeah. Uh, I won't spoil any of it. Okay. I'm, I'm just grateful for the tour and, and the insight. I'm going to let everybody know about it, and I know you will too. Um, and you came up recently in another podcast I was on, so I should give a quick shout out to uh, Chasing Sanity with Derek Talkington. Yeah. He mentioned your name. And, homie. Okay, yeah. and I knew we were already connected on Facebook, like I said, but, uh, but hadn't reached out. And I'm, I'm like, okay, well, this should have happened earlier, but I'm yeah. glad it's happening now. Uh, you've got an amazing story, and you and your team and your organization's up to some uh, incredible things. So yeah. I want to dive into that. Yeah, it's been uh, phenomenal to see all that has happened in the last four years. I never would have thought that sitting here four years ago, we'd be at a property with a grocery store, aquaponic systems, and just all types of crazy things. Um, I can attribute it not to my brilliance, but just having a fantastic team around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel a little weird. I got to give my customary greeting before before I jump into. Then my... I'll ask you an opening question yeah. too. But we can start yeah. right here. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah, what's going on, party people? To everyone who's listening, um, thank you so much for tuning in. And um, just just a, a little bit. Do you want to ask the question, or you just want me to jump into? Well, a you know bit what? The, the, the question you decide where it can go. So yeah. I want I want you to, to lead. But here's a question to frame some yeah. of this. If you want to go this way, what are the struggles and triumphs that have most shaped your life? So just include some of that. And go yeah, wherever a, you need to. A part of it is in, in my bio. So growing up, so my dad is from Nigeria, and he was fortunate enough to win the lottery and be able to come to America. He got a scholarship to go to Southern Illinois where he got his undergrad, but then he got a um, invitation uh, with a scholarship to go to OU. And uh, I forgive him for accepting that, go Pokes. Uh, So (laughs) he is a OU grad and there he met my mom, they got married, had me. 
And uh, when they separated, uh, I was raised by my father um, from Nigeria. And anyone here who's a second generation uh, child knows most of the time we rebel against our parents because we just have different cultures. Um, the t culture you grow up with in uh, Nigeria, uh, you may not be able to raise this American um, the same way. Uh, I'm not waking up at 5 a.m. to pick up sticks and feed the chickens. Uh, so right. just rebelled a lot against my father growing up, which led to me getting in a lot of trouble, which is probably the biggest obstacle. Uh, 2000, October 19, 2008, I found myself in the back of a police vehicle and uh, in the back of that police vehicle, it just struck me that my life decisions weren't leading me into anything that was positive. Uh, and from that incident, um, I came out a felon, um, lost my employment where I was making pretty good money, mm -hmm. um, lost my license and didn't know what I was going to do. But fortunately, a group of, of city leaders um, were able to bring me under their arms and mentor me and um, I was able to get a pathway out of the misery that I created for myself. Um, but what I learned during that time was uh, that myth of the bootstraps. Okay, tell me and, about that. And, and many people say that you should just pull yourself by your bootstraps. Like, it sounds wonderful in theory, but some people don't have boots, or they may have boots and they ain't got no straps. They're just all of us don't have the same opportunities afforded to us when we make the worst decisions of our lives. Mm -hmm. And because of that, um, my family and I, once we began to get more stable, we just had a conviction that we wanted to move back into the community. Um, I went to Northeast High School, got kicked out, but I went there. Uh, went to Northeast High School, and I remember the lack of opportunities in this part of the community. And one thing that I knew was, unless there are people who now have boots, coming back into these communities, not as saviors, but as neighbors, hmm. we're going to continue to perpetuate some of the same things generationally uh, that we've uh, seen plague our nation and also our city. Yeah, and that's profound. And I know you're speaking from the language of, of the organization and mm -hmm. some of the vision is coming out here. So if you would, just yep. tell me how, how you began doing this work from, mm -hmm. from the back of this police car. You said, mm -hmm. you know, this isn't it. Yep. This, isn't, this isn't where I want to be headed. And then, and then you did make this move back to, mm -hmm. to this area of town. Yeah. And then how did you ultimately start getting involved in the work that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one thing I have to say, central to me, mm -hmm. even being able to, to even has a, have a grasp of the work that's happening now, central to all that I do has to be faith. Mm -hmm. um, faith was a big component of, of giving me a new worldview and a new lens to see life through. So I can't divorce my story from the story of faith. Uh, once I was out and began being mentored by these wonderful men in our city, shout out to Stephen Moore, Shiloh Camp. He was one of the first people to take a chance on a young buck who was raw and rugged, but he took a chance on me. Yeah. Um, I was mentored slash discipled by some men who began to show me a better way of living. 
Um, one of the first things uh, my wife and I did was we moved into the Northeast community uh, as residential managers with an organization called Hope House. Um, shout out to Trev. What up, homie? Uh, so Hope House, uh, there we learned how to uh, just be good neighbors to individuals in the community. But from there, we began to ask a question. Um, it's, it's wonderful that we get to do this residential manager thing, but what does it look like for the average individual, the average family who is not living in an apartment complex, helping people transition out of homelessness? What about the residents who are living in single family housings um, all across our city? How do they become, how do they be good neighbors? And so that led us to purchase a home in Northeast Oklahoma City and uh, attempt to figure out what it looks like to be a good neighbor. And what that, what I learned, what we learned is, um, it begins with humility and curiosity. Um, humility says, I may not have all the answers, or the answers I have may be incomplete. And therefore, I need curiosity to be open and available to ask people that think different, vote different, drive different, dress different than me, what is your perspective? And can you lead me, can you lead me into understanding your world? Uh, so when we moved into Northeast Oklahoma City, we quickly saw that most of the community was not organized. Uh, so when bad things happened in Northeast Oklahoma City, uh, there were a few places where you could get the voice of the community to speak into those bad things that were happening. And so we decided, we quickly saw the community needed to be organized. And one of the vehicles to do that was a neighborhood association. Um, it would have been easy for me as, um, as the gentry, because when I moved into Northeast Oklahoma City, I came with my middle class income. Mm -hmm. I came with my college education. I came with a semblance of stability. Um, when I moved into my neighborhood, that those things are not indicative of my neighbors, uh, I gentrify my neighborhood. And so it would be easy for me to come in and say, I have all the answers, I have all the solutions, uh, come do what I tell you to do. Mm -hmm. But humility says, I'm gonna take a step back. I'm actually gonna embrace downward mobility and I'm gonna put myself under the leadership of someone who's indigenous and has lived here and has experience in this community. So I met, met a gal, um, uh, 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 older lady, uh, who, who fiery, um, like uh, Family Dollar knows her by name because she calls them every week saying, y'all need to clean up your parking lot. Um, I sought her out and I put myself under her leadership and used all my resources, all my connections, and put them behind her vision, and we won Neighborhood of the Year two years in a row. But wow. it, it, that's not me. That's me allowing and putting myself mm -hmm. under the leadership of someone that deserves it, but may have not been seen in the past. That's what it looks like to be a good neighbor. Right, it's empowerment. You know, that's yeah. one word for it that is coming to my mind is empowering mm -hmm. others in the truest sense of the word, which yeah. is, it involves a lot of listening. Mm -hmm. You know, you're really listening to the stories, to the narratives, to yeah. the concerns and the joys yeah. and, and the, the struggles and the triumphs of others. Yeah. And then becoming a part of that story mm -hmm. in, that, in that humble way. And I like mm -hmm. that, that uh, language that you use, not having all the answers. Yeah. You're not being the one that's kind of coming in, okay, I have the answers, guess mm -hmm. what? I'm coming back in to tell you what they are. Yeah. 
And, and yet you, you are coming in with your strengths mm-hmm. and with your knowledge and with your capacities. But you're listening to mm-hmm. these uh, individuals that have, that have been longstanding members of the communities that have already been active yeah. and they need that extra something. Yeah. Yeah. Opportunity, if no mm-hmm. other word, the opportunity, mm-hmm. the platform, the resources yeah. to be able to make the difference that they already know that they can, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it's all about that spark uh-huh. um, before we move on. So that's a little yeah. bit of our personal story mm-hmm. of, of how our understanding of community development uh, evolved as a, a family. That That's how it began. But uh, I must say, it's not easy. No, I can't imagine. Like, like it's not easy. So mm-hmm. moving... Um, Reconciliation does not happen without sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, moving back into, into the community, it also required that my kids be placed into schools that were underperforming. Mm-hmm. I can go down a list of all the bad things that have happened as we've lived here on the Northeast side. So not to scare any way, uh, anyone away from it, but right. there is a, there, there, there's a, a you should embrace it with sobriety mm. that there are sacrifices to living in the community. It's not all roses and, and sprinkles. Uh, it comes with some hardship. Uh, but what we began to see along with that hardship is also resilience. Um, often we're contacted uh, as an organization by people that are interested in doing things in Northeast Oklahoma City. Uh, such as recently the store shut down on 23rd and MLK and tons of groups uh, have compassion and they want to be engaged, they want to be involved, they want to know how they can help, which is a great thing and it's a necessary thing. But the first thing I try to convey to them is, yes, have compassion for this community, but don't pity it. Mm-hmm. They're different. I mean, what's the difference? Let's hover yeah. on that a yeah. minute because that's important. <laughs> yeah. And I know what the difference means to mm-hmm. me, but tell, tell our yeah. listeners, what is the difference between compassion and pity? Yeah, so compassion is um, if you have a newborn and that newborn begins to cry, uh, compassion is uh, you respond to that cry as swiftly as possible in the most uh, compassionate way. So it is about urgency. Mm. So compassion comes with, I hear your cry, I care, and I'm gonna dive in, that's urgency. Mm -hmm. Now, when that child turns five years old and that child can't tie his or her shoe and uh, begins crying, the kind, loving thing in the beginning is to come and help tie that shoe, but eventually, If you keep tying that kid's shoe for the rest of his or her life, it's going to be a 25-year-old crying because his or her shoe wasn't tied. Mm -hmm. And you tying that shoe is not compassion. Uh, That's just pity. And that's uh, erratic response to keep coming in and doing what that child doesn't need at that moment. So I am not calling North OKC an infant or a child that needs his shoe tied. But... What, I'm, what I want to convey is there's such a resiliency right, right, in right, this right. community. Yeah, where does that come from? When that store shut down and we began going to our neighbors to figure out what we should do initially because we were responding in pity, mm-hmm. we originally thought that the community would want us to start a, uh, start a food pantry. But as we began talking with our neighbors, many of them were like, yeah, we don't want that. We don't need that. 
uh, if we wanted to go get free products, there's 50 places in the community we can go do that. We want to go to work. We want to make money. We want to go to a store, spend our money, choose what we want, and purchase things with dignity. Dignity. That's what we want. Yeah, that's the um, word that was coming so to we mind don't, too. Yeah, we mm -hmm. don't need your pity. Hmm. Now, some people need relief. They need their right. food pantry because they are just in such a place of instability that yeah. they need what is necessary to get to just a stable place. Mm -hmm. So I'm not poo-pooing that. Yeah. But in addition to the food pantries, there needs to be stores, there needs to be farmer markets, there needs to be other types of responses. This is a resilient community. They're going to find a way to get their needs met. The bad thing about that is, if that's where it remains, there's kind of a punitive tax placed on our communities. Because we're so resilient, we will drive miles to go buy a hammer because there's no hardware store in our community. Um, and that's not right. That no. ought not be. Mm -hmm. That's the reality, but right. it should change. And if we don't have responses, we're gonna continue expecting this community to do twice as much of any community just to get its basic needs met. So that's not a good answer. Mm -hmm. So we need different types of responses. Um, pity isn't enough. Understand the resilience. Talk to the community and ask what would really need, what would really help the community get to the next place. Right, you know, and I'm hearing relationships come in, mm -hmm. and I know I've, I've been around on the website through social media, yep. Uh, and and I've, I've seen the word relationship building or just mm -hmm. relational in, in the language. Yep. And as other guests that have been on my show, um, Imam, Imad, and Chasi, mm -hmm. you know, a local leader in the Muslim community, it comes down to relationships, he told, yep. he told us on, on his interview. Mm -hmm. And really about what makes us human. You know, we want to be safe. Yep. We want to be able to, to mm -hmm. give our best to, to the yep. lives that we're living. Yep. We want to be able to make a difference. Mm -hmm. We want to be able to be heard and understood. Yeah. And we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when, when those things don't happen, we're not happy. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm understating it, but, mm -hmm. uh, but we suffer. Yeah. And we become disconnected and mm -hmm. we become resentful and we yeah. become angry. Rightfully so, mm -hmm. understandably so. And so what I, what I hear you saying is you're addressing some core concerns mm -hmm. of human beings in, in Northeast Oklahoma City mm -hmm. of very specific um, needs mm -hmm. that ought to be met, needs to be met. And so as, as an outpouring from these intentions, I could call these intentions, these purposes that, that your organization's involved with, what are some of the things, some of the success stories that you've had? I know you walked me around, yeah. but yeah, what have you all got going that's, yeah. that's, that's going well? Yeah, I love that word, uh, relationships, because mm -hmm. everything that we do has been birthed out of relationship. Uh, so in 2016, when Michael Brown was shot and killed, yeah. uh, many leaders across the city began uh, looking over their social media feeds and hearing the conversations of individuals in their organizations and uh, the responses aired on two extremes. Either it was total rage and anger that everyone is racist, everyone's the problem, we need to tear down the system, or the other side was total apathy. It was, if those people would just do X, Y, and Z, this wouldn't happen. There is no problem. The problem is you talking about there being a problem. So it was either total apathy or total anger, mm -hmm. and what 
we began to desire and yearn for was a way for different communities, different thought processes to come together to have conversations, but then also we wanted to provide uh, handlebars and training wheels uh, to, to begin to navigate the roads of justice and mercy in our city, especially a city that prides itself on being the, a buckle of the, of the Bible Belt. Um, we wanted to invite the broader community back into the work of justice and mercy. So what we began to do, or the place we began, I linked up with a family that moved back from St. Louis and they were a part of an organization called Restore St. Louis. And they had been doing justice and mercy work in St. Louis for uh, seven plus years. And they felt the call to come back to Oklahoma City and see if a work similar could happen here. And our family obviously had been living here doing community development for years as well. But what we decided to do, like a Nintendo, was just hit the eject button and wipe the slate clean and act like we didn't know anything. And we decided to just go and hang out in the community and ask good questions. So the place we showed up was um, the third space in this community. You're aware of third spaces? No, tell me about it. So third space is um, if you aren't at work, if you aren't at home, uh, what's that third place you would be? Okay. Where would you go to hang out? Where can you go get some Wi-Fi, a clean restroom, and some AC? And, and have the freedom to stay there and hang there. Uh, here in the Northeast side at that time, one of the only third spaces in the community was Ralph Ellison Library. Yeah. So we just began showing up and hanging out and talking with kids and parents and just asking the question, what does love your neighbor look like in this community? Um, and so that summer also, you may remember this, uh, Mental health services were placed on hold because we were in a budget crisis. Yes. Uh, but un <clears throat> unknown to many people, also during that time, child care subsidies were cut. And when you're in a predominant single parent household community, yes. when child care subsidies are cut, mm -hmm. that sends ripples through your community when you have single moms trying working two to three part-time jobs just Real to fast. make ends meet. Yes. Um, and so many of them were leaving their kids at home, which totally understand, yeah. but kids don't stay home. Uh, and so they would make their way to the only third space in the community. So overnight, the a library turned into an impromptu daycare center with just dozens and dozens of kids. But then also predators found out that there were dozens and dozens of kids. So we showed up with bright shirts on that said volunteer, trained all of our volunteers, a background check, and we just started um, hanging out with kids, doing a summer camp at the library to keep them safe, but then also to do academics and, and uh, other sport, sport type events with them at the library to relieve some pressure from the, for, for the staff. Um, most of those kids went to a school called Thelma Parks, which is actually where my kids go now. And uh, at that time, when we walked into the doors of that school, it was just severely under-resourced. Um, that year, uh, 20 of 22 faculty did not return. And um, for anyone who's in education, that's a big deal. That's yeah, a can't, red flag. If you can't retain staff, yeah. um, it's very hard to stabilize a school. And that's we right. had so much compa uh, compassion for that, for the administration. It wasn't their fault that that was happening. And so 
uh, one line we use is what we want to do as an organization, we want to learn and teach others how to use their privilege for the privilege of others. That's why we exist. That's a great statement. To teach people how to use their privilege for the privilege of others. Mm -hmm. Privilege has a bad rap these days. Uh, as soon as you hear that word, it can create defensiveness. Mm -hmm. But all privilege means is blessings, mm -hmm. gifts, things that you uniquely have received as a gift that others around you may not have. Right. For many people, they grew up in stable homes. Uh, for many people, they grew up with middle-class income. Many people grew up in uh, with educated parents and, and stable transportation. Um, but today, many people feel guilty and ashamed of their privileges that they have. Um, privilege is never supposed to invoke guilt and shame. Privilege should be celebrated. Now, it should cause guilt and shame when you're using privilege for only yourself. That's when it should cause some shame, some guilt, um, and it's an invitation into learning how to leverage it for others. So we knew we had privilege. When we stepped into the school, we asked the administration, what do you need? What would help you thrive? And um, over the years, what that turned into was something called classroom care teams, where eight people uh, join a team, adopt a classroom, and their number one charge is love the heck out of your teacher. Here's their favorite snacks. Show up with some gummy bears and Mountain Dew every week. Make sure that that teacher is happy. Um, and so that's their primary charge. Secondary is we pull kids aside and do uh, activities with them, um, lower, lower class sizes, but then also give that child that um, individualized um, relationship building that they need. Um, and so we do that for every classroom at Thelma Parks. Um, and so that was what we started with. But here, going on three years later, that's evolved into, we do assemblies, we buy school supplies for every classroom, every kid gets uniforms, we do back to school bashes, Monday assemblies, we build gardens for every classroom, um, I mean, laundry facilities, just so much resources. And we've seen that school go from, um, instable to stable uh, a lot a lot because of the administration and then hopefully next year we're, we're seeing some strides to getting to thriving um, and that happens as the community says i care and i will show up yeah and they back it up they back up yeah. all that work and the vision and and it happens i'm i'm just assuming through these conversations you know these honest these genuine relationships asking the question you know it comes back to all that I do all day long with people mm -hmm. is ask questions. That's yeah. what a coach does. If mm -hmm. they're really, if they're really in their element, they're asking good questions yeah. that help the other individual across from them speak their truth, mm -hmm. uh, find out what's holding them back, and and be able to live an empowered and empowering life. Absolutely. So these types of questions that you're talking, that you're asking administrators, mm -hmm. what do you need? Yeah. It's as simple as that. It really mm -hmm. we can complicate things so much. Yeah through a lack of humility or just fear or unknowing or whatever other reasons we may have. Yeah. But certainly going in and just asking the compassionate question, mm -hmm. where are yeah. you suffering? What can I do to alleviate it? Yeah, and that's how every piece of what we started began was mm -hmm. just asking good questions. Yeah. So it started with Restore Schools and now we're at um, Thelma Parks, we're at Britton Elementary and we're at uh, MLK Elementary and we're attempting to scale up to be able to provide the same resources that we provide at Thelma Parks to those other two schools. And so if you're looking for a way to volunteer, jump onto a classroom care team. Uh, and so it started with schools and then 
after that, we began to see that many of the kids were being raised by grandparents or great-grandparents or family members that may not have stable income. And in a black community, owning a home is a big deal. Many of those grandparents and great-grandparents are first-time homeowners, and they take pride in their homes because literally they were the first one in their entire family to ever own a home, and that's a big deal. And they'll stay in their home way past it being safe and be unable to make some of the basic repairs that they need. So we started something called Restore Homes, where every second Saturday we have something called Work Day, where 60 plus volunteers show up um, and we go into the community and provide free repairs for especially the seniors in our community, but then anyone that's um, in uh, dealing with poverty. We go in and do free repairs, everything from replace full roofs and electrical to paint a wall to make a senior happy. And so we do everything in between. And, uh, and we also have some affordable housing that we're working to attempt to provide affordable housing in the community because there's such a housing shortage and such a prevalence of slumlords in our community. Yes. And so that evolved out of asking questions for families of what do you need? In addition, while we were at that uh, library, we ran into a, a young lady who was struggling with uh, getting uh, continuous employment and also like my story had had things on her uh, on her uh, background check that were unsavory and so what we asked is how can we use our privilege for your privilege and we help her start a cleaning company and uh, today that cleaning company uh, hires uh, I think six women at this moment and all of them are on a pathway to, to flourishing. So it's more than creating jobs, it's also creating an opportunity for these ladies who have been living for their children, living to survive, to be able to take a breath and say, what do I dream of for myself? And then we're able to put the resources around them so that they're not cleaning for the rest of their lives unless they want to, but we want them to actually have a pathway to their dreams. So we started Restore Jobs. And then the fourth and final thing that we do is Restore Farms. Because we're in the largest uh, food desert in Oklahoma City, uh, we know it would be easy for us to come in, plant gardens, and say, here we are as your saviors. But we asked the question, what can we do? How can we leverage our privilege for your privilege? And we began talking with high schoolers. And asking them the question, if you were to drop out or if your friends were able to drop out, what would be the cause? And many of them said, because we need to make money for our families. And so we started something called Restore Jobs, where uh, now we have a five acre farm, which we just got to walk through. Yeah. Um, we have a state of the art aquaponics uh, greenhouse going up. We'll be able, with 72 grow towers, they'll be able to produce 75 to 100,000 pounds of produce. And that, uh, and those greenhouses are ran by high school and middle schoolers right here on, in the east side. And they're able to learn from A to Z all about agriculture, all about business, all about how to do research, crops, vertical growing, which is the future of food. They're learning these skills and will be empl employable for the rest of their lives. Um, and that's breaking generational chains from something that seems so small. And then they'll also be able to get uh, full ride scholarships um, and be able to pursue um, advanced education. Uh, and so 
Restore Farms is, has been just a game changer. And with that uh, grocery store that shut down not too long ago with a four days notice, um, we opened up a grocery store in two months and it's ran by those same interns. So they're able to learn business, marketing, all different types of things. So I'm gonna quit rambling. I'm excited about so much that's being able to happen in this, in this community. And it's because of the community, not us. Yeah, you're playing a part, of course, and I know that you're well aware of that. But, mm-hmm. uh, but it's through that relationship building, through that posture of yeah. humility and curiosity. And curiosity is where questions come from. Yeah. And so is humility when I don't have the answers. Mm-hmm. You know, and I learned that, and, and I don't talk about myself a lot, but I'll usually throw something in there. And my own journey through violence and very poor choices mm-hmm. and addiction uh, for years and years and years and you know, suicide attempt and, and other things, taking things that weren't mine. Uh, telling people things that, that, that weren't true, um, that uh, when I did begin to recover and find a new version of life and through God, uh, God has blessed my life to be able to, to recover from alcoholism and really to live a much fuller, deeper, better life than I ever dreamed yeah. was possible. So when they talk about recovery, mm-hmm. it's like, I never even knew this was possible. Yeah. And so I'm hearing some of the language that you're using is resonating with my path of recovery. Mm-hmm. And so when you say restore, life is being restored. Mm-hmm. Uh, dignity is being restored. Yeah. I'm telling you, I had almost zero dignity mm-hmm. from a very different angle, you know, a very different perspective. But I didn't have that human dignity that you're talking about that I recognize is the same with all of us around the world. Yeah. Uh, and so to hear the language that resonates with really the highest aspirations for what we can be and meeting people in some of the most challenging situations yep. that exist and doing something about it and asking what it is that needs to be done, gathering information. Mm-hmm. You know, to use some language from recovery from the 12 steps and, and Alcoholics Anonymous, our old ideas availed us nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's our old ideas, is, is that, that's the stuff that kept getting me in trouble yeah. or kept leading to, to unsavory outcomes. And yeah. I like that term. Um, I certainly have my own, you know, and these outcomes are so much better. Working together for a greater good, uh, relying on a power greater than self, and and I can hear and see, and if you can't already tell, the passion that Ernest has for what he's doing. You know, and that stemmed from a a lot of pain and suffering and bad choices, and yet here you go. So anybody that's listened to this, I know some of that you are that are in trouble, (laughs) you know, guess what? You're not alone. Yeah. And there's a path, you know, there's a path for you, whatever that may be. Uh, as you know me, I'm a Christian, but whatever your path is, take that one. Take the one that's better than the one that you're on. Yeah. Uh, and for those investors and entrepreneurs and people that may be listening, this sounds like a pretty good investment to me. So I'm definitely going to be promoting what you're doing here. Thanks. Can I ask you a question? No, please. Okay, so when individuals are trying to get their lives back on track yes. and they uh, have experienced trauma in the past yeah. of any sort, mm-hmm. I've heard two different um, um, trains of thought. Uh, some people and some type of, uh, some gurus uh, self-proclaimed gurus will say right. that I mean. you don't need to look at the mess. You don't need to unpack it. You don't need to go into that closet. You just need to push it to the side and and go for it. And right. then some people will say, um, and integration is one of my favorite words, okay. um, 
you need to be an integrated self. And so that's going to require you looking at some of the darkness that you've experienced, some of the darkness that's inside of you. And just like um, just like cleaning up a kitchen, you're going to need to take everything out of the cupboards, which is going to make a bigger mess. But then you're able to get rid of some things that you didn't need. You're going to be able to put things back in the right place. And that's going to be the pathway to flourishing. Which of those two have you seen be most successful? Well, I'm telling you, the, the one that I know about from personal experience is taking a good look. Yeah. When you turn away from pain, mm-hmm. the results are never good. Yeah. And what I mean by turning away is to deny it mm-hmm. or to try to suppress it or to pretend that it was something else other than what it is. Yeah. And to live life on life's terms is to recognize pain and, and trauma in this case, which as a life coach, I don't treat trauma, I should just say. Yep. But I have received treatment for trauma mm-hmm. from those qualified and, and, and through spiritual practice yep. as well. That, that's its own form of treatment. But mm-hmm. um, healing happens by taking a look at where the pain was and going back mm-hmm. to those moments. And it doesn't mean you have to jump all in at once. I should say that too. If you're like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to change. You know, let's be... People like me, at least, you know, we want to get ahead of the game. So uh, it takes time. It takes patience. It takes yeah. humility. Yeah. And, and once you find your right sizeness, mm-hmm. where you're not, you know, thinking about yourself all the time is basically what that means, humility. You still are aware of yourself, but you don't have to think about yourself all the time. That's a burden let go, you yeah. know, and uh, because you're, you're well enough. You're healthy enough. You've got mm-hmm. more than enough. And that privilege, as I hear you mm-hmm. call it, that's abundance. Mm-hmm. That's more than enough, you know. And so... I would not advise, you know, if you have pain in your life, first, don't try to handle it on your own. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get far. Nobody ever does. Uh, reach out to resources, you yep. know, and take action along lines that other people have taken that they know work. Mm-hmm. So be mentored. Look for a coach. Look for a qualified therapist if you're looking for trauma care. Yep. Um, absolutely, and yep. and the, that's where wisdom comes from. Mm-hmm. I know what didn't work. I've made a bunch of mistakes. I have thousands of them to prove, you know, all kinds of mistakes in my past. Now I learn from them. I try not to repeat the same one twice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the reason I ask is just being on the block uh, for many people, uh, counseling Mm -hmm. or soon as you get to poke on some of that trauma, yeah. that, that, that's like, that's sacrilege. Like it's, that's a no, no, we don't do that. Right. and uh, to try to invite someone into that type of intim- intimacy, uh, which requires vulnerability, right. actually can push many people that have, had, that have experienced that trauma uh, away. And so I would advise this to anyone who's listening because I know there's such a hunger because we're getting emails and calls daily of people trying to figure out one, how do I diversify my life? Mm-hmm. How do I get into relation? How do I build relationships with people that don't look like me, talk like me, dress like me, drive like me? Uh, I want to build those relationships, but I know we have some barriers. Do I should should I begin by talking about those barriers and poking at some of that trauma, or do we kind of let that happen with time? So we get a lot of those calls. We also get those uh, requests from organizations that are interested in reconciliation, either racial, socioeconomic, generational. How do we make our organization an organization that's fighting for uh, reconciliation? And so I advise this to, to, to everyone. Um, healing comes through relationship. 
So everything we do, the incredible programs, schools, jobs, homes, all of that is wonderful, but it's not the end goal. The end goal is hopefully by working with a child at a school, we're able to meet a parent and a parent may have a need that we're able to meet, which creates some, some relational trust, builds some, some uh, relational equity, that mm -hmm. now we get to get them from a uh, front yard environment. Now we can maybe get them to a living room environment where they'll come here and share a meal, or they'll come here to a hip hop dance class, or they'll come here for a block party. So we're getting them one concentric circle uh, closer. And then maybe next we can get them to uh, possibly uh, a kingdom sighting, which we do every Friday morning where we just hang out, celebrate what we're celebrating, share some pastries, and just get to talk and do life. Maybe someone will take that additional step. Um, and then maybe we'll get them to the next place where they'll come here and sit on a couch with us and like one of our neighbors and tell us about how her mother was murdered by a, by a spouse. And then her sister was murdered by a partner. And then someone else in her family was uh, put in the hospital recently by a partner. And now we get to look them in the eye and say, you know what? You don't deserve that. It wasn't because of something you did because you're a person of, you have value, you have dignity. Let me speak truth to you. Let me tell you all the good things that are inside of you. And maybe now we get to work together to make sure that other young ladies in this community don't go through that as well. So everything that we do is meant to be a, a vehicle to invite people into deeper relationships. That's where we want to begin. We are faith-based, but we're not obnoxious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like that word. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. we are unapologetically uh, faith-based, sure. but okay. we're not obnoxious. Mm -hmm. When we throw a block party, we're not going to require that everyone sit through a Bible study before we eat barbecue. Mm -hmm. That's just not what we're going to do. Right. We're just going to say, have fun. Because when we read the Bible, Jesus did a lot of partying. Uh -huh. With all kinds of people. With all kinds Whether of people. Whether they believed or not. Whether they believed or not. Uh -huh. And so we're going to live that out. We're going to let our faith live out. But as someone gets trust and moves closer, we're going to say, hey, right. we love you. You have dignity, value. God loves you. Right. And because of that, we can only see you through the filter of our Savior, which we believe in. Even if you don't, you don't have to. Uh -huh. But that's the filter we see you through. Yes. And we want you to see your neighbors through that same filter. Right. We want you to be reconciled to your neighbors. We want you to be reconciled to, to even the abuser, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which doesn't mean you've got to forget anything. No, no, no. But we want to see a reconciliation happen right. in your heart first. And we also want to see you reconciled to God. But we're not going to force that. <laughs> right, right. You heard it here. Yeah. Right, right, right. But everything that we do, yes. um, we believe reconciliation, mm -hmm. relationships are therapeutic. And we want to invite our community members primarily first back into relationships. But then also we want to see broader communities be able to look at Northeast Oklahoma City through a different lens. Not with pity. Right but with compassion mm -hmm. and be able to come here, work shoulder to shoulder with one of our neighbors, begin mm -hmm. to see the dignity in our neighbors, and also be able to use their privilege for the privilege of other people in our city that may not have it. That's right, I love that, I love that. And we're, and I don't, I don't know, we can add too much to that. I just did want to give, 
Um, I'll give you another opportunity, Ernest, to, yeah. to close with any message. But we, these go about 45 minutes okay. or so. So we're getting close. But I did want to, to honor some of what you suggested in the process that, that you advise, which is, these are my words, take your time. Mm-hmm. You know, know your own heart, know your own intentions, know your own motivations mm-hmm. for getting involved, for wanting to reconcile. Some of it can come from guilt and shame. And it, and it is important, I would say for myself, to watch out for that. Yeah. It can get in your way. Uh, you know, you can, we can have really good intentions for reconciling and, and really step on others' toes without ever meaning to mm-hmm. uh, by trying to hurry things along way too fast and without understanding the other side of the table or the other side of, of the block. You know, mm-hmm. it really takes information gathering. It takes, that's that humble posture, not mm-hmm. having the answers, doing your homework, and also courage. Mm-hmm. You know, people that really have good intentions... Sometimes they're afraid about saying the wrong thing. And guess what? You're probably going to do it. Not probably. You will. You will if you're, if you're really getting your boots wet. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to say the wrong I've done it many, many times. Yep. And those on the, on the other side that, that understand that, and even if they don't, uh, it's still worth taking that risk. That's mm-hmm. the courage. You know, you're fearing some repercussion, saying the wrong thing, doing the yep. wrong thing. Go ahead and step out. Step out in faith. If that's your path, it is mine. But, but be informed also. Mm-hmm. So get informed. Understand the issue as well as you can and branch out slowly. It takes yeah. time to build great relationships. It takes time to build trust mm-hmm. and to be authentic about it. So yeah. two words that I use a lot in my business are courage and authenticity. Mm-hmm. And that's where you begin to integrate. Yeah. You know, when you can become that best version of yourself, an integrated self, mm-hmm. it takes time. It takes a lot of inner work. It takes a lot of outside help. Um, and it takes a lot of consistency, you know, mm-hmm. just keep doing the thing, keep yep. doing the thing. Yeah. That, yeah. So yeah, the way I would, I would word that as yeah. well is, um, I am so grateful that God's measurement isn't success. Mm-hmm. Like he's not looking over saying you need to be successful mm-hmm. in whatever way you measure that. Mm-hmm. But God's measurement is faithfulness. It's yeah. can you bump your head and get back in the fight? Can you come in with humility when someone says they disagree with your, with your premise? Uh, does that make you take your ball and go home? Or does that make you even more eager to get on the field and try again? Mm-hmm. Um, I am so grateful that faithfulness is the measure of God. Amen. Yep. Amen. Are these the closing remarks? Or did you have anything else you wanted to share with us? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay a thing. bunch of links down, by the way, in the show yep, notes yep. so they can find you. But. Yeah, fi- final thing is if you ever want to grab those handlebars and get onto the road of what justice and mercy looks like in OKC or put a water, put, put a toe into the waters of justice, uh, these simple things. Every second Saturday, we have something called Work Day where you get to work next to our neighbors. Um, and do all types of uh, projects, and it's family-friendly. We have projects for everyone. Um, And then secondly, consider a classroom care team. If you have uh, time on your side where you got moments where you can uh, step in and volunteer for an hour each month, that's the best way, two, two good ways to get plugged in. Okay. And yep. like I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay down a whole bunch of links in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And so people can, who don't already know about the work that you're doing, your organization's yep. doing, they will, hopefully, if they listen in. So, Ernest Odunzi, I thank you so much for your time. It's been a privilege. Thank you so much. been listening to the Live Your Purpose podcast. 
I hope you've been inspired by my conversation with today's guest. If you like what you hear, please share with your social networks and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. To learn more about the life coaching, public speaking, and retreat services that I offer, visit fullintegrationcoaching.com. And you can follow along with me on Facebook and Instagram at Full Integration Coaching. Until next time, remember, you are meant to live on purpose. Start living yours today.